I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 1. One of my favorite scenes in the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, is towards the end when Dorothy, the lion, Tin Man, Scarecrow, and Toto, can't forget Toto, they stand before the great and powerful Oz. They've been promised by the wizard that he would help them if they destroyed the wicked witch of the West, which they did. Dorothy brings to the great hall of the Wizard of Oz evidence that they've destroyed the wicked witch. She brings the broom and she holds the great wizard to his promise. As they stand before him, this hall is filled with Smoke and fire and a floating green image of a head. And the great and powerful Oz in that moment attempts a delay. He says, come back tomorrow. And then more smoke and more fire. And yet Dorothy protests. If you were really great, you'd keep your promises. More intimidating sounds, more smoke, more fire. Meanwhile, the little dog Toto leaves the group and begins pulling back a curtain. And after two pulls, reveals a man vigorously moving levers, yelling into a microphone and frantically trying to hide himself. And then comes the famous line, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> it's a great line, isn't it? When the curtain is pulled back, the command from the great and powerful Oz is to ignore what they see. When the truth is finally revealed, the command is, don't pay attention to him. The book of Revelation is a moment when the curtain of life is pulled back. We're given a glimpse of what is really happening and yet the message of this important book is entirely the opposite of Wizard of Oz. The message of this book is, pay attention to the God-man behind the curtain. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to welcome you to our first of 23 messages about this glorious revelation, an exciting journey through one of the most complicated, most confusing, most important books in all of the New Testament. One of our staff asked me this morning, how can we pray for you? I said that I would meet everyone's expectations of this book. From this Sunday through April of next year, we'll be walking through about a chapter a week as we examine the biblical vision of God's completion of the redemption plan. I'd love to have you walk with us and read along so you can come prepared, and I think this would be a good series for you to spend some time 
getting ready for the Lord's Day by reading along the text. And so our communications team has designed a really helpful guide over the next number of weeks for you to read along. There's also going to be a journal that we'll make available to you to take some good notes so that you can dive deep into this important text. There's a lot to learn here. Today, we're gonna be covering just the first eight verses and we'll be taking kind of a broad overview approach of the entire book. We'll examine the content and the message of the first few verses, but at the same time, I'm also gonna be setting the context of the entire book and even how do we even approach the book of Revelation. So the question that I want to try and help you with today is this fundamental basic question, what is Revelation about? What is it about? The title of today's sermon comes right out of verse seven, Behold, He is Coming. And to begin our journey, I want to highlight four themes that I think help us to set the framework for how we are to think about what this book is all about. Those four themes are revelation, hope, judgment, and reassurance. Revelation, hope, judgment, and reassurance. Let's examine each of them. First, Revelation. Yes, the book of Revelation is about Revelation. <laughs> we see this in the first five words. The text begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is about the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is the culmination of God's redemptive plan. It's the end game of why Jesus came and what God is doing. Sometimes theologians summarize the overall message of the Bible. Think of this as maybe the meta-narrative or the big picture story with four key words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The Bible fits within those four categories, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and the book of Revelation is about this final movement of God's activity of restoration, when he makes all things new, when Jesus returns to reclaim the world that is his, that at present is rebellious and wayward. The book of Revelation is a book about what is yet to come. It is a book about the future. The Greek word for revelation is the word apocalypsis. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? But it probably evokes in your mind a sense of destruction or devastation. You might see a storm coming and think, man, those clouds look apocalyptic. Or you can think of a whole genre of film in the category of apocalyptic. They're dark, they're foreboding. But in the Bible, apocalypsis means more than just dark and foreboding. The word means something hidden, now revealed. The word apocalypsis means the disclosure of that which is previously unseen. That's why the word Revelation works. It's a revealing. It's the pulling of the curtain back. It shows us what is really happening, what's really going on in the world. 
and what is going to happen. It's the same word that Jesus used in reference to Peter's confession in Matthew 16, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied to him and said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, apocalypsis, but my Father who is in heaven. So you need to know that Revelation fundamentally helps us to see what is really going on. When the curtain of heaven is pulled back and we get a glimpse of how to see the world from God's perspective, the reason this book is helpful is because if you're a faithful Christian and if you live in a fallen world, if you're trying to be godly and maintain your integrity all the way to the finish line, you will often wonder what in the world is going on. You may look at your life and think, we are losing everywhere. I'm godly and I'm taking advantage. I hold my tongue and people slander me. I I offer forgiveness, they never ask for it back. I'm trying to be a godly person when the whole culture around me seems to be turning against me and I'm getting nervous and fearful and I wonder, how am I going to do this? The book of Revelation is written for you. It is to help you understand what is really going on. If you've ever, as a follower of Jesus, been so weary of conflict and pain, this book helps you to realize, brother and sister, we're in a war, a battle. This This isn't some walk in the park. There is, pull the curtain back, a cosmic struggle that's taking place. Verse one says, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Many people think of the book of Revelation as a mysterious, predictive book about the future. That's true at one level because there is much in the book about the future. But it's important to keep our eye on the first five verses as we walk through all of these chapters that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of his return to finish the work begun in the resurrection. So sometimes, and maybe you're in this spot, you think of the book of Revelation as mainly being about when Jesus will return. But the book is more about who is coming, what it will be like, and why it's important. The purpose of the book is not knowledge, although there's a lot to understand. The purpose of this book is to point believers toward the coming victory of Jesus so that they will endure through difficulty and suffering and persecution. If I could get you to just kind of burn one word in your mind and heart about this book that will help you know how to use it and apply it in your life, it would be the word endurance. This book is meant to help suffering Christians know how are we gonna make it? Nancy Guthrie in her book, Blessed, Experiencing the promise of the book of Revelation says this, Revelation was written to fortify Christians to live in the world, enduring its harsh treatment and alienation with a firm confidence that this world is not all there is. 
And that, in fact, what may seem like defeat is going to give way to victory. She continues, if we can explain every symbol, identify every Old Testament allusion, trace every connection, but are still intimidated by the world's opinion of us, still enamored with the world's wealth, still attracted by the world's comfort and pleasure, then we will not have truly heard and kept the message of the book of Revelation. This book reveals, church, that there is a battle raging between heaven and earth. A battle between Satan and God. A battle between believers in Jesus and a hostile world. It it reveals, it pulls back the curtain to help us understand what's really going on and where history is headed. It, It reveals this path for endurance and it shows us that there's a massive bloody battle happening in the universe. It shows us that we're at war. One of the things I've been helped by is hearing other people teach and write on the book of Revelation. Matt Chandler has a fabulous series on the book of Revelation, and one of the insights that he shares in that series is that so often we think of the coming of Jesus like at Christmas time, like silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. And while that's true, you need to know that the coming of Jesus was like the storming of the beaches of Normandy. And the reality is, is my life, your life, doesn't often feel like all is calm, all is bright. It feels like, what in the world? Why don't you just come back? Just come and take us away. We want to be with you. This is hard. Life is war when you're a Christian. This book was a record of the revelation given to the Apostle John. It says he made known it, made it known rather by sending his angel to his servant, John. John is is in exile on the island of Patmos. I'll say more about this next week, but just remember that this revelation was given to the disciple whom Jesus loved who is is feeling the oppression of an evil world. He's living it. And this book, this vision is meant to strengthen him as well as to strengthen the churches to whom he wrote. Verse two identifies that John wrote what he saw, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This book is apocalyptic literature means it's different. Other texts like parts of Daniel or Ezekiel, parts of Matthew and Mark are intended to communicate a message but not in the normal way that we think about communication. Apocalyptic literature like Revelation is intended to reveal a message through imagery and symbols. And so part of the challenge as we walk through this book will be knowing when to take something merely as a symbol and when to take it literally. And then knowing how do we apply it. Now, as a result, there are a number of Bible-believing Christians who approach the book of Revelation differently. And so for our study, I just want you to know that I'm gonna try and help us keep the forest in mind 
while every once in a while highlighting some trees. I want to remind you, I'm preaching a sermon, not teaching a class. If, if we were in a class studying Revelation, we'd, we'd go a little deeper in some ways, in some elements. I'm not gonna answer all your questions. I'll try to highlight different perspectives on various issues, and I'll even often tip my hand on what I think and why I'm right. <laughs> I will do it humbly, I'm just kidding. What you need to know is that there are other Christians within the body of Christ, within our church, even pastors on our staff who see things differently. And for some of you, that, that may be really uncomfortable. Like you've never been in a spiritual space or a church where someone tried to help you think about the different order of importance of various things. When I was teaching through Romans 14 and 15, I illustrated this with a diagram about theological triage, that there are things that are absolutes, there are things that are convictions, and there are things that are preferences. And it's really important that you know the difference. Liberalism is taking an absolute and treating it like it's a preference. Legalism is taking a preference and treating it like it's an absolute. What you need to know is that the second coming of Jesus, the fact that he's coming again is an absolute. Heaven being real, hell being real, those are essential doctrines of the Christian faith. You can't be a Christian and deny those. But the timing of Christ's return, whether there's a literal millennial kingdom, the role of Israel in that plan, those are examples of secondary issues, things that have some levels of conviction or even preference. So we'll talk more about this moving forward, but it's important that as you read this book, that you read it through this lens and that we treat one another with charity. I want to remind you that Satan is our enemy, not the dispensationalists. <laughs> Satan is our foe, not the amillennialists. You may have strong views about the rapture or the church replacing Israel, but don't forget that our real hope isn't in being right. We're gonna find some massive deconstruction classes in the new heavens and the new earth when we figure out how everyone else was wrong. <laughs> this book is about the return of Christ our King. So keep your eye on the main thing. This book is about endurance in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about revelation. Secondly, this book is about hope. Woven through this book, is this recurring theme of inspiring hope for God's people as they are facing hardship and difficulty. Verse three calls out blessing to the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. As Dale said, the one who read it to the church and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. So this book was written and it was circulated among seven churches. You'll notice that there are seven lampstands on the platform, actually there's an eighth. You'll learn more why, but the seven letters were written to seven real churches that are emblematic of problems and challenges in all churches. And when we come to the book of Revelation, we need to be reminded that our church is also a lampstand and to ask ourselves the question, what would the King of Kings and Lord of Lords say to College Park Church if he were to walk into our building? What does he know? 
What does he see? What would he commend us for? And what would he critique us for? It's interesting that John would hear these words and record that blessed are those who keep what is written in it for the time is near. That word keep has the idea of obedience, preservation, faithfulness. The reason that's interesting is the book of Revelation has far more description in it than it does prescription. It more describes what John sees than prescribes and gives particular commands. Very different than Paul's writings or Peter's in terms of their epistle, the nature of being in a letter or an epistle. The vision of Revelation is that God's people should keep his word to the very end and with a sense of urgency because the time is near. Verse four, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. This was modern day Turkey. What you need to know is that these are real churches, but here's the thing, there was far more than seven churches in this area. For example, there was a church in the city of Colossae, not mentioned. It's not that far, Colossae isn't that far from Laodicea, but it's not mentioned. And the reason may very well be is that these churches with which John, to whom John writes, are churches that either he has some kind of pastoral connection or, or and, these churches are representative of all churches. And it may very well be that the number seven, a symbol of divine perfection and completeness, is intended not just to call out the number of churches, but this is the complete picture of some of the challenges in the context of the church. They're given a standard greeting, grace to you and peace. But what follows is, is an essential part of the book of Revelation. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was, and who is to come. This, this wording, this phraseology of him who was, and is, and is to come, occurs in four other places. Revelation 1.8, Revelation 4.8, Revelation 11.17, and Revelation 16.5. These are words and a combination of phrases in order to bring comfort about God's control of the past, of the present, and the future. Grant Osborne in his commentary writes this, God's eternal power already seen in the past and guaranteed in the future is still at work in the present, even if for a time he is allowing the forces of evil to have their day. So listen to me, those of you who have come to church today and you find yourself weary and you wonder what's going on with my life, how do I deal with these issues and this fear I have of the world in which I live and this conflict that seems to be raging all around me, don't read from him who was and is and who is to come as some just statement in the Bible. That whole sentence is designed to give you hope. It's supposed to connect you that the God who was and is and who is to come, the one who controls the universe, the one who's already declared the end from the beginning, the soon coming King Jesus, he's going to help you. He's gonna uphold you. He's got it. It's like Isaiah, Isaac Watts said in the last stanza, oh, oh God, our help in ages past, he said this, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, 
still be our guard while troubles last and our eternal home. We see seven spirits. These seven spirits may be connected to the description in Isaiah 11 or Zechariah 4. And then we find Jesus Christ, verse five. Three important phrases, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, the faithful witness. Same word for martyr, witness, martyr. Jesus is the model of those who testify and are persecuted. Jesus is the model of the one who is faithful in the midst of a broken world. Jesus is the one who maintains his testimony. He's a faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He has conquered death. He's the first fruits. There's more to come. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, that the earthly rulers are subservient to the king of kings. Yes, John, the emperor who put you on Patmos will bend the knee to King Jesus. It's just a matter of time. It's an incredible reminder about who Jesus is. And as we make our way through this book, I hope you will find your heart elevated in worship of Jesus. I hope you'll come to love him and know him more. And the more that's revealed about him and all of the elements of what he is like, the more you will love him. If you're a Christian, this book should increase your affection for your soon coming king. And then finally, this section on hope ends with a glorious and encouraging doxology. It's rich with redemptive hope. Look at it. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what's amazing about that verse is all of that is already completed. It's done. It's a reminder to suffering Christians, it's a reminder to John about who he is. Oh, how badly we need this when we face opposition. And here's why, because anxiety and fear and confusion and pain can cloud your mind and darken your soul. The heart grows faint when it seems like you're losing all the time. When you begin to wonder, I'm being faithful, but this isn't working out so well. Revelation reminds us who Jesus is and who we are when the world is falling apart. So if your world today, Christian, is falling apart, let me remind you that you are in this world for this purpose, to him who loves you and has freed you from your sins, who's made you a kingdom, a priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. The book of Revelation is about revelation, it's about hope, third, it's about judgment. One verse, a few thoughts. Beginning in January, we'll talk a lot about judgment. 
Verse seven, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The third theme we're gonna find throughout this book is one of judgment. That there is divine accountability for what's wrong with the world. We're gonna see this in lots of ways. We get a hint of it in verse seven. And what happens here is that John highlights that the return of Jesus is gonna be glorious for those who know him. Their king is coming and they can't wait to see him and it will be frightening for those who do not know him. Jesus presently is the open-armed redeemer, ready to forgive, ready to cleanse, ready to make you new today. But listen to me, that is not forever. The clock is ticking. And there's gonna come a time when the clock stops and Jesus returns and he's not coming as your redeemer. He is coming in that moment as your judge. This book, in its theme of judgment, not only uses this theme for non-believers, but uses this theme of judgment for believers so that Christians, when they receive persecution or hardship or opposition, can rest knowing there's coming a day when Jesus is gonna make everything right. So you don't need to take your revenge, just wait for the coming king. You don't need to set the story straight, Jesus is gonna do that. You don't need to conquer the world. Jesus is gonna do this, which is why at the end the text says, even so, amen. It's as though God's people say, I'm glad it's not up to me to make, it, to make the world right. Some of you are living your life with your friends, your family, the world, our culture, as if the weight of the world rests on your shoulders. I just wanna remind you, he's coming on that white horse, not you. His name is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if Jesus comes in judgment, that means we can endure the brokenness of the world, we can endure its opposition, we can deal with the onslaught of the devil, we can absorb unfair treatment because we can look to our coming King and release our need to take our own justice. Revelation, hope, judgment, finally reassurance. Our opening verses here bring us back to a theme that we'll see throughout our journey in that John is going to show us unbelievable visions of glory and we're going to see the majesty of God. And this vision of who God is is designed to fuel endurance. Let me say that again. This vision of who God is is designed to fuel endurance. John's vision here isn't merely intellectual or theological. John knows that God is sovereign and in control of all of the events of the world. And what he sees hits him not just in his brain, but in his emotions and in his imagination as he sees the symbols that are meant to give him hope. What he sees impacts him deeply and emotionally. These images and scenes and creatures are, are meant to create these emotions within him and in, within you. The vision of Revelation is designed to push through the fog of true but stuffy theology. 
The vision of Revelation is designed to create a new melody that takes over the painful dissonance of a broken world. The hope of Revelation is to welcome us into the reassurance of Jesus' embrace when we've been stiff-armed by the world or colleagues or friends or family. Revelation doesn't just tell us something reassuring, it shows us. It declares it. John is alone at the end of his life on the island of Patmos put there by an earthly ruler who thinks he's a god. John must have at times thought his life is over. I'm never gonna see the churches again. I'm separated from all my friends. The last apostle probably living. My guess is John might have wondered at times, was it worth it? This is how it ends. Enter these words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. How those words must have landed on John's heart. How I pray that they land on your heart today. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's, he's the one who is right now. The one who was. The one who is to come. He is the almighty. Some of you need to go to bed tonight and just as you begin to fall asleep, you just need to say, Lord, I know you've got this. Eugene Peterson suggests that throughout the book of Revelation, these images of Jesus that we're going to see are going to give John hope. Listen to what he writes. St. John, away from his churches, fretting from lack of intimate knowledge of his people, sees the penetrating, attentive eyes of his Savior. John, weak from confinement, sees the strong and burnished feet of his Lord. John, used to speaking with authority to apt to stray sheep, but now, without a voice, hears the authoritative voice of the ruler of the church and the world. John, homesick for his congregations, sees them held in the right hand of the shepherd of Israel. John, at the mercy of the political sword of Rome, sees the word of God proceeding sword-like and not returning void. John, nearing the end of his days, the energy of his countenance in eclipse, sees the presence of a radiating Christ throwing blessing on all. Wow. So what is this book about? It's about revelation, it's about hope, it's about judgment, it's about reassurance. What Revelation does is it pulls back the curtain between heaven and earth so that we on earth can see what is really going on. We get a glimpse of what is happening, we get a glimpse of what is going to happen, and all of this is so that we can make it. Just like Jesus did. So we can look to him 
and finish strong and be faithful and endure. And although dark clouds begin to loom in our life and it feels as though we're on the outside in our own little exile in your office or at your company or in your family or in your neighborhood. And when you begin to wonder, is this really worth it? Is following Jesus really legit? Revelation says, look at this, I'll pull back the curtain and whatever you do, pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Because this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming again. Lord Jesus, oh, how we need this reminder because our hearts faint easily. And so, Jesus, would you remind us even in this moment that the God who was and is and who is to come is controlling all of the events of our lives even today. Lord, some of us need to take a deep breath and just to be reminded what Eric said at the very beginning of this service, you are seated on your throne. So come even now, Lord Jesus, and strengthen the little lamp post called College Park Church so that we can endure and be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.